Hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for tuning in to the Philippi Conversations podcast. The following is a conversation I had with John Sled. John is a super interesting and well-rounded, well-educated guy. Uh, he spent his life in education uh, and music, but now in his retired years, he's actually creating playwrights and musicals. Uh, he's phenomenally good at it, uh, and he has some really interesting things to say about how the arts and how music should fit into the kingdom expansion of Christ and his church. So I hope you'll tune in for the whole conversation. I hope you'll glean some wisdom. Enjoy. Well, hey, everybody. Thanks so much for, uh, for tuning into the Philippi Conversations uh, podcast here with uh, John Sled. John, how are you? Doing great today. Thanks so much for being on the podcast. This has been kind of something fun that we've been able to do during the, the COVID lockdown is just have some conversations with different people. And uh, John, you attend uh, our church here with uh, your wife, Arden, and you guys have been coming. Was it been two months now or three months? Seems like since January. Since January, about that time. Until we were closed down. Yeah, and you guys, uh, you know, some of the backstory for those that maybe don't know, um, you guys were part of an existing church, and then you guys all sort of shifted and became part of Philippi, and the Lord was leading you guys over. It's been a really big blessing, you know, to to have you guys. So, uh, so the reason I had uh, John, you know, come on uh, today is to discuss first of all, um, kind of uh, the topic of um, the arts and music and how that can fit or should fit maybe into um, the church. This is something that John has um, multiple times kind of brought up in conversation because he's, he's kind of this investigator type person uh, where he loves to, to sort of figure out things and, um, and ask good questions. And he's asked me a couple different times, you know, what is, how does the arts fit into church? And it's got me thinking about it. It's got me kind of asking that question. And we've had multiple good conversations. And I know you are um, presently producing plays, right? And, and things mm -hmm. like that, which I want to talk about and talk about your theater company. But um, that's kind of the question. I think the subject matter, subject material that I want to get to. But before we get that, tell us a little bit uh, about you, about how you got into creating um, musical content um, and creating, you know, playwrights, if that's the right, uh, technically right term for it. Um, how, what led you to that? Because at one point you were a pastor, you were a retired, you were a retired school teacher. How did all that kind of culminate into you becoming uh, what you do now? I've always been kind of an artist kid, you know, they, my mother would say the, the son that arranges the toy cars in a certain particular order, always loved to draw, always loved to sing. So some of these things are dispositions that uh, perhaps are just God uh, derived. God wired me that way, I could say. And so I uh, began painting and drawing and then was an art student for a time, was a songwriter at the same time. So I have this urge to make stuff, to create stuff. And that urge is both to arrange notes, write songs, or lyrics. Right now I'm building a deck and landscaping. So I just love arranging stuff, mm -hmm. whether they're notes or the way light affects an object. So both the visual arts. Uh, then I got into the performing arts in college. I was an art student and began plunking around, just dinking around in the piano practice rooms on piano. Oh, what a wonderful thing. And then I realized, well, I could actually learn how to play the piano if I was a music student. And so I auditioned for a jazz, a new jazz studies program. Mm -hmm. And because I had no musical background, I think just by the grace of God and the need for people to fill out this new program, I passed the audition miraculously with virtually no musical skill at all. I could, <laughs> I could read some jazz chords and play them, but I couldn't really read the notes. So I became a music student and I uh, don't want to go too long with this story, but over the course of learning 
to sing. Um, there was a musical put on at the university in their, their summer program, The Music Man. And a young lady that I had met at the time was auditioning for it. Mm. How do you audition for a show? And so she gave me some pointers. And then I, since I was a music student and I knew the performing arts building, that the complex, I crept in and watched a few auditions. Oh, they just like memorize a few lines and then they sing something. And since I was a music student and I'd taken some voice lessons and had to sing, had to sing in the university choir as in the bass section, I uh, was able to sing a song that I knew then. And so I, uh, I was uh, cast in the barbershop quartet <laughs> and it was my first experience in theater. And of course, anything that you do that's new, it's like you're, you, you terrified. <laughs> oh my goodness. And then you get coached and you, you know, okay, you, singing was fine, but acting and speaking made me very nervous. So, uh, this, this lady that introduced me who was auditioning for the play ended up being my wife. So that's, that's mm. part of my story. <laughs> so that, that, that was an additional attraction and uh, uh, an incentive to go through the nerve-wracking experience of an audition. Really enjoyed the experience, loved hanging out with her. We weren't cast together. I was in the barbershop quartet. She was another character, but you know, of course we would uh, evening after evening in rehearsals and performances. Mm -hmm. What a wonderful thing community theater is. It takes an army of people to produce it. It's mm -hmm. got the visual and performing arts, the literary arts. It's got the technical area of, you know, just staging something with the lights and the sound. So there's something fascinating about what community or, or what theater requires to put on a show, a performance. So that to me, the analytical side is just fascinating. You, get, you know, the costuming, uh, the makeup, um, you know, just filling the house and uh, dealing with the people and, and then interacting with the audience is fascinating stuff. My first experience, I was not a Christian, but I'm just, uh, you know, observing all this. So that was my introduction to musical theater. So here I had an art background and a music background. Then I become, oh, and then I, I said yes to playing guitar and singing in a commercial dance band. So I played in nightclubs for a time. <laughs> nice. Went from a music school to playing uh, in clubs and became a Christian. And so it was very interesting. We were a pretty clean band. We played top 40 in R&B, and we would drink soda pop and look at our set list. So, you know, we, uh, we, we didn't live, even though our agent wanted us to immerse in the lifestyle and promote ourselves in that worldly fashion. We were a pretty nice group of guys. I was the sole Christian, the obnoxious, annoying one who would have reservations about certain songs' contents. <laughs> And, and so I, I just, I pretty much had committed to the band and then become a converted Christian mm. and then tried to not annoy them too much. But they say, I can't sing that song. Somebody else sing that song. What, what year was that? 1983. 83. Okay. Yeah. yeah. So I was not even, not even close to being born yet. I'm not trying to make you feel old. I, I just, just giving a little bit of time for myself here. Is, is, go ahead. Uh, continue. Oh, it's, the funny thing is that I was asked after graduating from uh, college and being a guitar player, hey, man, can you want to join a, a group and we're going to be an international band? What are we going to play? Australia. I'm in. You know, <laughs> you leave college with a, kind of a worthless music degree. People would ask me, what are you going to do with a music degree? So uh, I wanted to travel, be a bit of a troubadour. So, yeah, Australia. And then as things went on, uh, no, it's not going to be Australia. It's going to be the United Kingdom. They like R&B and dance music. Okay, mm -hmm. I'm in. I'm still in. And then eventually, this was in Bellingham where I went to college. Eventually, we were an international dance band, and we crossed the border 25 miles away to Vancouver, British Columbia. So we played from Seattle, to, mostly to Van in Vancouver, and then local in Bellingham. 
Um, it was a good experience, but it's something uh, when you when you play professionally, when you love music, and then you become a professional musician. I didn't make much money. I was up late. I always smelled like smoke. Sometimes we'd be packed in hotels. It's just, oh my goodness. And then I got, you know, as, as a new Christian, then I got engaged and I realized this is not going to be a lifestyle for me. Um, as, a, as a music student, I would write jazz tunes, love jazz music. But I found myself playing top 40 songs written by other people over and over again. The same songs, Huey mm-hmm. Lewis in the News, Michael mm-hmm. Jackson, you know, some old rock and roll, some R&B. Uh, so I love music, and it was actually pretty fun. We were a tight band. We were a grooving band, fun to dance to, but very worldly. And it was a nice thing for a Christian to exit and then get into worship ministry. So guess what? If you can sing and play guitar, a lot of the churches want you to, well, hey, join us. And so, you know. <laughs> as long as you know four chords. Oh, right? my goodness. <laughs> and uh, went to a large church in California, moved down there to teach, got a teaching degree. Um, and by the way, at my my career choice of teaching I realized at one point, I have this art background, I have this music background, I can use these gifts and interests in my classroom. And I did. And I've, I've written uh, three children's musicals before now writing adult mm-hmm. musicals. And then, uh, of course, I love to teach art. Um, mm-hmm. So those elements have been fruitful in my 30-year teaching career, have loved it. Um, so then uh, got into worship ministry as a song leader, guitar player, and a choir member, and uh, have some great experiences. Uh, Some of this is just going to be my preference and my bias, because when you love music, and uh, in college, music was my God, and I even said so in my journal. I've discovered this new thing I want to pursue, and I'm going to devote my life, and I'm going to practice my scales, and (laughs) I'm going for it. This is my purpose. Now uh, I I believe in the God of music, not that music is God, Mm -hmm. and it changes everything. So that when I look at music now over the course of history and in the church, I'm just fascinated. My question to you and and others has been, so what role does the church today have in transforming the culture through the arts? And it's just an open question. I don't know. Hmm. There are certain things that I do that I, that I love to do. Uh, you know, and being a performer, I began performing in the church. So I would be like a soloist for special music or be on the worship team or be, be in the choir. Some great experiences about a large church with an orchestra and a choir and, and these big musicals and uh, choir retreats where you'd go off and you'd learn your anthems for the next six months and prepare for, you know, whatever, Easter mm-hmm. or, or Christmas. Those have been great experiences that, that I've, I've noticed over time. All that energy and effort to have a choir, special music, an orchestra, special events like pageants. And my friends would be like the worship leaders. It's just a lot of work, and that seemed to uh, run its season. So that big production mindset moved into a little bit more intimate, personal folk. Um, well, maybe I shouldn't say folk, pop, pop rock. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, uh, and as a guitar player, of course, it, it's easy for me to just take the guitar and 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 lead worship. So that's a little bit of my background, and you know, being a musician. And then being a musician, a musician in the world, and then a musician in the church. Um, but then being a family man, five kids, homeschool, dad, and uh, got into ministry, I was asked to take over a church plant. And 10 years later, uh, you know, I, I, I'd been doing that for a while. So mm-hmm. trivocational. That means that I was teaching school, raising a family. Um, 
leading the church as a, we, we had a plurality of elders and had a, a, a group of guys preaching. So it wasn't mm-hmm. completely full time. And then on the side, this love of music, writing musicals. So, uh, I got involved locally, maybe eight years ago, could be wrong on that, in a local production that a friend of mine was in. He recruited my daughter to sing in. It was called Scrooge the Musical at the Barnstormers Theater. Mm-hmm. They needed some guy singers. So since my daughter was involved, I auditioned too and got in this part. And for the next whatever, three months, was meeting with these people, rehearsing, doing the choreography, and we ran 22 performances. It was just a delight. With and my uh, one of my sons was on the the crew, so it was a family commitment with friends, uh, a bunch of people from our church, and uh, just a blast. And mm-hmm. so that that really left an impression on me. The community that's involved. You know, I mentioned earlier the army of personnel that's required to put on a production, and the uh, just the commitment and the energy and the satisfaction when you're done of having completed a production. And it's responded to by the audience. Mm. To get that energy now as a believer and working with other believers on a show that has redemptive value, but it's not overtly Christian. You know, I mean, Scrooge is a transformed man. Right. It's an awesome story, uh, yeah, Charles Dickens. Absolutely. And But to, to work with some Christian brothers and sisters to do it and have that environment there, where we're just hanging out with people, theater folks, and being with them, working with them, asking how we can pray for them as they go through life struggles, that really struck me as what a wonderful thing. And and so my personal bias is that the church should not be too quick to give up on the orchestra, the choir, the productions. There is some criticism, like with all this time, aren't we distracting people from the, the basics of the church, the ministry of the word and prayer and service? Isn't this entertainment? And uh, so I would say it's worth it. Yeah. It's worth it for the church to um, at least acknowledge their, their need to have input, to be salt and light in the realm of the arts and entertainment. So that's, that's a, a recent pa- a, a passion of mine. So I retired from ministry in 2016, or excuse me, I went on sabbatical in my church and said I need more time to write a musical. I had taught a music history course on Martin Luther and the Reformation. And then I wrote a little 15-minute skit with six songs to go with it. That's posted on YouTube. It was so fun. And the group of people that studied, uh, some of them, I don't know how many of them actually made it through auditioning and then uh, performing, but we put it, uh, put this little production on, and I was smitten by the fun of creating something that tells a redemptive story, the, the story of Martin Luther. And then, uh, so we, then I was inspired to write another piece. It was so fun, and I'd learned so many things from doing it, um, you know, playing piano and then learning to notate piano and then arranging the piano and then orchestrating it. So then I wrote another one. I took the parable of the, the prodigal son and turned that into a full-blown musical. The, the Luther skit was about 15 minutes long. So then I did a full two and a, uh, two hours and 15 minutes, a full-blown musical with an intermission. And I think it had 20 songs, and it was orchestrated for flute. And then I, then I start becoming kind of, I start tying back into my music uh, training 
to write things for instruments, to arrange it for piano and instruments. And we performed um, Here I Stand at the Rogue Theater in town mm. to commemorate the 500th anniversary of the Reformation. Um, I'm sorry, did the Prodigals at Barnstormers, um, and that was not that was just piano and bass orchestrated, and then went on and took, uh, I, I messed that up a little bit, did the skit for 15 minutes, then wrote the Prodigals, and we performed that at Barnstormers Theater, mm. rented the theater at the time and put that on. And then went back and took that 15-minute skit and turned that into a full musical to commemorate the 500-year the anniversary of mm. the Reformation. And we staged that at the Rogue Theater, downtown Grants oh, okay. Pass. Yeah. And that had like 30 songs. Mm. And it had more <laughs> orchestration. So you wrote 30 songs for that? Wow. That's crazy. Went from six. Some of those six I would would modify and then expand. I got to I got to pick your brain on this a little bit because I've been to plays and I've seen a, and, and a lot of times I know you know you buy plays right from playwrights that you know you sort of purchase the rights to them right and and a lot of it's already pre created. I mean, how do you? I mean, maybe this is a can of worms, but like, how how do you? What is the process? The creative process from taking this conceptual idea of hmm, I wonder if we did a play about this. Uh, all the way to the point where you're actually executing and you have something to actually, you know, to actually put in the hands of those actors and say, here's the songs, here's the plot. You know what I mean? I mean, that that to me fascinates me. I love watching special features on movies because I love seeing how in the world did this one idea turn into this massive, you know, movie or whatever it is. Uh, for me, it's sermons. You know, I start my sermon starts with this just kind of random idea and then it sort of starts to come into to light. So I don't know. What's that process look like for you uh, when you when you actually go through that? Well, that's, it is a can of worms, and I could just bore you to tears on this because it's, it's where I live, too. Right. Uh, in the sermon world, you, you have a topic or a text, right? And then you're, you're trying to have your thesis in your opening and maybe three points and an application. That's just mm-hmm. kind of like a general formula. Well, musical theater has its formula, too, a beginning, middle, and an end. And it's got a story arc. And so for me, I think of the, the story first, the script, or in, in theater, we call it the book, the story arc. And then how do you tell the story with songs? And then, right, you're, you're basically, if it's a musical, you're composing songs to get through the arc, and you're pacing them somewhat. In the same way that a preacher, if you have three points, your first point is not going to be 40 minutes and then, you know, two-minute points. So there's a sense of balance even as you look at the flow. So it's story arc first. It's then, okay, what songs need to be sung to carry the story? And then the songs kind of get divided into, are they narrative songs, are they thematic songs, or are they character songs? And so then you just kind of, for me, I get the script in mind. If it's the life of Martin Luther, then I I know that historically, and I want to be faithful to that. If it's the prodigal son, then we know there's a a smaller, that that bit of biblical fiction that was a parable invented by Jesus to make the point. Fascinating. Mm -hmm. And so that one... There, there are things that I would embellish. I would create backstories for that. But in the same way that you're getting, you know, the prodigal son needs to return home and the father rushes to meet him. Or Luther, he leaves his legacy mark on the world of Europe, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. So then you write songs to get there so that in theory, you remove all the script. The songs tell a sequence. So you could listen to the songs only. At least that's the way that I approach it. And you get a sense of the story. In my first skit, I just wrote six songs and I connected them with narrative. A narrator would come out, you know, Martin Luther, and so and uh, 
with the prodigals, it was more, let's show the story rather than tell it. And, uh, mm. So you kind of you kind of use the songs as almost like engines at certain points, but the, the you know where you need a song, or is it like you write a song and then you decide where that song is going to go? I mean, what what's, what comes first in that process? Yeah, good question. For me, it's uh, the song idea comes first, and it's it's really all integrated. So for me, so far, I've written the book, I've written the script and the songs, which means that if I get into a situation like that, character is undeveloped, and I here's a new song and I'm like, I'll write a new one or rarely do they get cut for some reason. I don't know if that's yeah. just like having children. Mm-hmm. They're yours forever. You can't let them go. <laughs> that's, um, the, that's the hardest part of writing sermons. It's like you get attached to this content and you're like, I can't cut that out, but then your sermons are too long. <laughs> yeah. But there, there are things like when you have a, a group reading and you have people listening in and critiquing them and you, you read the reaction. Sometimes it's like, yeah, that's not working so well. Or that that <laughs> So, yeah, totally. But it's a blast. It's a it's a labor of love, and I I, uh, I have to tell you that a lot. I do a lot of pacing and sighing as I consider these stories. Once you get into it, there, there's a movie I'll make reference to. It's about Charles Dickens, the man who invented Christmas. Yeah, I loved how they depicted his characters came alive and harassed him, mm-hmm. and so that's that's the way it is. You can't stop thinking about this stuff, mm-hmm. and then uh, until it's done, and then you move on, and then you do you forget about yeah. it. Yeah, I, that's that. I don't know if that's something just in common with creative brains, um, but I have that same thing. It's like when I'm on a creative track, I can't think about anything else. If I'm if I'm if there's a sermon in the in the pressure cooker that's kind of working its way through, or an idea for a video or something, it's like I just can't think yeah. about anything else. Uh, like my wife knows, it's like it's Saturday night and I'm preaching on Sunday. It's like lights out, and like I'm just not there, you know. Uh, but I and I don't know if that maybe that's a bad thing, you know. But I, I think sometimes it gets us to the finish line, you know, in creative uh, material. But so t- you you asked that question earlier, you know, uh, the question that you said you've been asking: how how should the arts uh, affect the kingdom of God? And what what's some of the answers that you feel like um, have come up to you? And and how is that bringing kind of worth and value into the work you're doing um, every day? Because you're you're diligent working and spending a lot of time, you know, play, uh, working on these, these playwrights. So, you know, what, what have you come, what conclusions have you come to in your research? <laughs> Again, uh, man, I could just go on and on, on for these things. It, 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 it seems to me like we, there's the possible danger for artists. Sometimes we do what we do because we feel like we're wired to do it. We can't not do it. So there's, I have to kind of just present that as it's possible it's always possible that we're self-deceiving and self-justifying. So it might be that I just love music and I love art and I want the church to use it. And so with that acknowledgement that I could be subjectively biased and I just can't see outside of the way that I think that maybe I just want the church to do something that I love. And so I have to be careful to study it out to see if that's the case, you know, still being limited to my bias. But I find, I mean, this, this is the part, uh, uh, if you want me to, I'll, I'll just kind of get, this is the preacher mode where I, in my study, I, I, I feel like music was my God and I love art and I can't help but just kind of look at the angle of things and the perspective of things. Why is that the case? God, why do, okay, because I believe now that you exist, I once was an, was an atheist, now I'm a believer and I believe God is in control of all things and all gifts. So why did you wire me this way? And mm-hmm. what would you like me to do with this that came from you? And so now my obligation is to not do paint the things or make the things or think the things that I did before, but that my art needs to be an expression of worship as unto the Lord. And it should have not simply self-expressive value, 
when you when you look at you know art, the history of art, self-expression kind of emerges. It's it's not religious art; it's self-expressive art. So if you're a self-expressive person, if you're an artist, do you have an obligation to let God in to give Him glory in your work? And I absolutely believe that's true. And so knowing that artists have Christian artists have an obligation to glorify God with their art, not simply self-express. That's kind of a, a you know, that's that's a black box because if all you're doing is expressing self, right? Then you're the creator and the adjudicator, yeah. and everything is about you, and it's 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 deadly. Whereas if you're doing things that are unto service to glorify God, then it's great. Just a couple of things that really fire me up. God is an artist. We're made in His image, and so uh, He's the creator. He's not simply uh, a mechanistic deist. You know, a deity that, you know, there it is, there's the geology of the globe, and then he steps back. He adds beauty and function to what he makes. Mm -hmm. He's engineered it personally and with love. And so when I look at some of these things, since I've been a playwright for maybe the last five years, I've just spent a lot of time thinking about this. God, he's revealed himself through the general revelation of creation, and it's beautiful. It's marvelous, and it's beautiful, and it causes me to worship the maker of it, not it itself. I don't worship right. Mother Nature. Right. So God, he's, he's showing off. He's bringing glory to himself through the creativity of his creation, through the cosmos. Heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. Mm-hmm. It's like they're showing forth God's glory. He's an artist, visual artist. He is a literary artist in that he's decided to reveal himself in his special revelation through the word and it's not just a set of facts or like a manual there's an elegance to it in the you know the whole canon of scripture there's poetry in there it's narrative history there are laments there are songs there are epistles you know dealing with problems it's just amazing how masterful god is as a writer and then the question is so when we look at shakespeare who you know mastered the pen and he's got story arcs and character development or charles dickens the Lord, their resources come from the God of writing, the God of literature. So I just kind of think of the attributes of God as the artist, the author. He's a painter. He's a singer. In Zephaniah, it says that God sings with a loud voice, exulting mm-hmm. over Israel. Yeah. Songwriter, lyricist, designer. Isn't it interesting when he gives Moses the um, directions for the temple, the furnishings, and the, the ephod, and the the priestly garments there, and it says for glory and for beauty, and that he would actually put his spirit into particular people so that they would be the craftsmen. And that means that they're kind of working with, so what is good? What is, what is beautiful? They have the spirit of God kind of resonating within them. So when they sketch an idea, they're sketching the idea that the spirit is breathing in. And then I think they're looking at it objectively and kind of confirming it. It's just, that, that kind of thing just amazes me. I, I can't claim in my creations that I, this is a um, direct revelation from God, but right. certainly inspired. There are things that I just yeah. keep getting pushed, and I ask, Lord, help me yeah. to solve this problem. Yeah. Yeah. So those are, if, if God is so creative and he delights in his own glory and we're made in his image, then it seems to me that the church would be very interested in the things that are like God, that are beautiful, that are worthy, that are reputable. Um, and frankly, some of them are new. You know, as, if we look at the different art forms and architecture, uh, musical styles over the years, 
God has not left a particular musical notation. He's not. Um, he did design the temple, but he didn't say all churches in the new covenant must be made in this cubic design with the holy. Right. You know, it's it's kind of like he he made us creative, and then he let us go with creativity. The obligation that we have, though, is to honor the Lord of all good gifts, so that what we create ultimately brings Him glory and does not come into conflict with His moral law. We can't mess with God's, you know, His decretive will, His sovereignty. He's He's going to work things out according to His own good pleasure. He's going to send uh, Israelites to Babylon, to Babylon and back, mm-hmm. you know. But in terms of art, uh, music. He, we seem to have a lot of freedom of expression, and I just feel like we have the obligation to make sure that the glory goes to him. Yeah, and there, there are things, I think, that just simply can't be communicated, uh, at least in 3D, apart from the arts, to some degree. I mean, with, with the, the way that we are limited in our senses. I mean, you and I, we're both fans of, of theology and, and systematics and you know reading these uh, types of things, but... Um, there's, you know, for instance, watching a rendition of the Pilgrim's Progress yesterday with my kids. It was like a kid's version. And uh, and it was just, it was moving, you know. And of, of course, it's John Bunyan's story that was moving. And, it, and it's similar to C.S. Lewis and his his books, you know, um, the Narnia books. Mm-hmm. And their ability to communicate spiritual realities in a way that I probably would have maybe understood cognitively, but wouldn't have moved me uh, emotionally or physically, you know what I mean? In the same way, it wouldn't have had the same impact. And I, they just really bring, it brings things into dimension when you experience it. And, and movies for me are, are a huge, a huge thing. I mean, even if it's not a Christian movie, uh, if, if there is a, a, a redemptive theme, mm-hmm. it, it just brings the gospel into 3d for me. And I go, wow, that's, this is like you mentioned Scrooge. I mean, that's, um, that is an amazing, uh, reminder i think of all of our desire for a human to change for humans to be able to change and for there to be some kind of a conversion or transformation of of the worst of people you know i mm-hmm. mean uh and so i love that and i think i think that's why um i think the arts were meant right to complement and uh, to be synergistic to our sort of our theology and our understandings of god but one without the other is is often lacking you know i mean I, sometimes the the most important truths are communicated through a song I agree. Pilgrim's Progress or whatever it is, uh, what what media depiction um, that you see, there's going to be a, a spectrum of is that quality, is it done well or is it done poorly, is it God-glorifying? And, and uh, in terms of Christian arts, some of them that are done well really move you. Um, so it can be a redemptive story told poorly or illustrated poorly or the, the musical score could be pretty really bad or the singers could sing out of tune those elements so so in the arts there's this this idea of excellence and you know uh, that that brings credibility to those elements so they can accompany a redemptive story right. we recently watched uh, a, a tv episode uh, called the chosen you may have heard of it and i was surprised at how well done it was story of uh, christ and the disciples and all of the elements, the costuming, the setting, the, the script was very good. And it just it, it blessed me to realize that you can take these characters and create backstories that are not in the text of Scripture. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that's the, in the element of the arts, literary arts. You can take someone like Thomas. We think of the disciple Thomas as the, the doubter, Thomas the doubter, you know, show me. Right. And yet uh, in this depiction, they, make, they, they put Thomas 
in the context of a job and he's witnessing some of the miracles of Jesus and it's just delightful. And then some other director could come and make Thomas do something else. And so in, in the realm of the arts, we have artistic license. And as long as you're bound though to the obligation to be faithful to scripture, to faithful to the, the will of God and the character of God, then there are things that you, I guess could, could call self-expressive that you, you know, you can, elaborate. Mm-hmm. Um, um, just to continue with the idea that if, uh, uh, my sermon on this might be, well, God, God is an artist. We're made in his image. And, and it doesn't mean that every creature is an artist, but some of us recognize that we've been wired that way. Some of us may have a sense of artistry in the things that we do that may not be considered art. And it may be the art of counseling, the way that we, we just love the broken and the needy. And there's, we have an artful way our, our compassion is artful. It's not just scientific, but there, it just works and it's elegant. So that's also true, but I'm, I'm mostly just focusing on the fine performing musical arts when I think this through, because that's, that's my wiring. If we have, if we recognize that we have this calling of God through this giftedness, this vocation, vocation really is a calling. If, if, uh, if we have a calling into the musical arts or performing arts or visual arts, then what do we do with it? Well, my premise is that if the church has such members, and I think in every church is going to have artistic members, how do you activate their gifts to glorify God in the congregational service? So I would be one of these advocates of, I know uh, in my own experience, large church, orchestra, choir, pageants, uh, beautiful building, uh, things have gotten more functional. The seeker, uh, the, the church growth movement, the seeker-friendly movement, has tried to kind of, we might have what we call high church, very reverent, dress up in robes, maybe the cathedral, the structured liturgy, to the low church, which is accessible. So we have service to the transcendent God who is holy. And we have a historical tradition there, some of it gone awry. And then we have the contemporary kind of utilitarian individualistic worship expectation, that is, uh, God with me. It's the imminence that God is present. And he's imminent with you also, so come on in here. And so it's the multi-purpose room worship center mm-hmm. and with lots of programs and things for you. So somewhere in between, there's going to be this pendulum. Somewhere in between, I personally am attracted to excellent art and music, that what might traditionally go with a high church. and But the accessibility that all people can join in. And so for me, the, uh, where this turns into an application, okay, God's an artist, we're made like him, and what area are we like him that we can express our artistry? And God has given every individual on the planet a vocal box. And the scriptures are just rife with commands to sing. God sings, Jesus and the disciples sang hymns. So we're commanded to sing, and we're commanded to sing congregationally. A lot of the Psalms talk about congregational singing. You can sing individually. I love to sing individually, love special music, but congregational singing is kind of like point number one. To answer my own question, what should the church be doing to transform the culture through the arts? I would say we need a reformation in congregational singing. Hmm. Um, and, and of course I have opinions on that, but uh, the more people that are singing at the same time and aware of each other singing, the better hmm. rather than me standing up with a guitar 
hey, watch me worship. Join along if you can. It's basically like I'm singing my favorite worship song. I might even close my eyes, but my job is not to activate your singing. It's just to sing in front of you. You're welcome. Right. And, and many churches do that really well. And then they make a show of that so that the cameras come in and then, you know, let's add the band. But it's really a performance of worship that we get to watch. Right. So I would, in my, my own bias, would say, wow, if the church would somehow really embrace, let's get people singing so they can hear what they're singing. And, and let's just start there. Let's just get them used to the vocal instruments. So uh, the band is not so loud. You can't hear what's going on. Mm-hmm. And uh, maybe even some training. And with, with me, my wife and I were both music students. And we love the sound of music, and we love the Von Trapp family singing in harmony. <laughs> so we taught all our kids to sing uh, in harmony, and we would perform like that. We were, uh, and we, we would perform at church and in nursing homes, and we would do the four part harmony. Love it. So that's my bias. Not right. everybody's wired right. that way, but man, if John could, if John could be worship king for a day, I'd say, <laughs> let's train people, let's equip people to sing, let's help them sing in their homes, and. Uh, you know, a lot of times the, the church, uh, if I just go back, I'm fascinated with the Reformation. The Reformation took the word of God that was basically held captive in Latin, chained to a pulpit, and the average layman could not have access to it. He heard the mass in Latin from a Catholic priest. He heard monks singing. What the Reformation did back in 15, 1500s was that it liberated the, the word of God to the common man in the common language, and it didn't stop there. Not only did they come up with um, scripture in German for for the Lutherans, and then of course uh, Wycliffe um, in, in English, but what flowed from the Reformation was education, catechisms, right. confessions, and creeds, and congregational singing. Yeah. So congregational singing exploded. Why? Because Luther and the reformers knew. That music makes lyrics memorable, and we can sing sound doctrine and little ditties and hymns so that they're made memorable. Um, so it's just powerful stuff. Um, so, so music carries the redemptive message through its hymnody and through contemporary worship songs. It's just fascinating. And so I just feel like, man, the church, don't, don't downsize that one. Upsize yeah. the worship because you can accomplish right. so much with musical worship right i think for for a lot of young leaders um which i can i can speak to uh that because i am one i think for a lot of young leaders there's this fear of going backwards right like we don't want to we don't want to we want to move forward be progressive right and so the rock band was kind of the next i think step away from the choir kind of the the rock band uh on sunday morning but what's really funny what's interesting to think about is if you if you tune into a lot of these mega churches that that um they have like 30 people on stage now because i think they realize and i've even heard worship leaders that i i was really you know in the worship leader network for for many years and uh i hear them say well the more people on the stage the more energy and the more people feel like we're really all doing something together and so it's almost kind of funny because it's almost moving back to what it originally was which was a choir on the stage a bunch of people together singing um, you know, which gave this kind of illusion that, hey, we're all singing together. Um, so it's, it's super interesting that, that churches now are, are looking to um, give the appearance of 
congregational, but yet nobody can still hear themselves singing, you know? And so I don't, I don't know what that middle ground is, but I love the idea of finding ways to get our church, you know, more engaged in, in singing. And I think there's a way to do that um, where we don't necessarily just have to go back to a traditional kind of format uh, of, of, of songs or a traditional format of choir and pews and all those things that I think some of us are, are sort of trying to move uh, away from, not because they're evil, just because we did that, you know, uh, but, but maintaining the, the, the life and the vigor of hearing a congregation. Well, I, I go to these men's conferences, sometimes these men's pastors conferences and they're all pastors and it's incredible because they're just all singing so loud and it's the, it's the most moving thing. I mean, and it's just one guy on a piano. You can't even hear him. You can't even hear him singing whenever they do these conferences. But the the roar of the men singing is so moving. It's much more moving than any kind of speakers or PA system or subwoofers or or whatever, you know. Um, but I think that the, the thing is we've almost taught people that their voice doesn't matter. We've almost taught people that, no, we turn it up so that we can't hear you. And a lot of people actually like that, right? They're like, I don't want anyone to hear me. I'd rather the, <laughs> the PA be blasting. But yeah, that's that's interesting, man. It's an interesting topic to to consider. There are, there are things about congregational singing that are metaphysical in some ways. There, when I remember, remember going to the Smithsonian complex back when I was an atheist, and there was a black choir, some really a good jazz piano player and a hot bass player and a guy on drums, and this big choir, they were grooving. I mean, it, was just, it, just, it just swung back and forth, and it moved me, and I did not mind the message. It's not like... I enjoyed the groove. I enjoyed, they, they obviously, they were, they were just locked in. They were, they were having a great time. I didn't care if they sang gospel, and I rejected the gospel at the time. Mm-hmm. There's something about the vibe, the atmosphere they, they produced, the community that they demonstrated was there. They must have rehearsed. There was this fellowship on display of this group of people, and I really liked their music. So I, I have this phrase, I call it carol the culture. I've noticed that over the years, since I'm, my, my family can sing in parts, Sometimes we will sing in parts out in public or we'll have guests over. Okay, we want to sing a blessing to you when you leave. And it's got some descants and some harmonies. And it's like, whoa. And what that communicates is you guys took some time to prepare that. Mm-hmm. You know, how, how do you do that? And so here we are a family who loves to sing and we took the time to learn this song. And I know other families that do this. And there's something that represents they, they weren't judging the lyrics that we sang. They were most engaged by the kind of the nonverbals, right? Mm-hmm. Of wow, they're they're singing together, they're smiling, they're in pitch or, or not. There's something about it that is so powerful to me. And that when I say carol the culture, I've noticed that uh, me and a group of people can go into a restaurant. You might see atheistic stuff on the walls. This is not a place where Christians would Christians would be mm-hmm. welcome, but we're not kicked out. We're welcome. We come with a celebratory song, and we come with a little group. We're, we're full of joy. There's something engaging and attractive about what we're doing, yeah. and they tolerate it. And yet we're singing, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Let earth receive her king. Right. You know, And we're singing yeah. about sin and darkness yeah. quelled by the, this Lord. And they just kind of receive it because it's been packaged in the carol medium. And so that to me is, if, if I could develop a whole series, it would be carol the culture. Let your art forms not be condemnatory, but first of all, just let them see the love, hear the love, feel the love before they can even interpret the message, if that makes mm-hmm. sense. So it's that, I don't know, it's the compassionate care. The EMT shows up on the scene. He doesn't ask about insurance the first thing. 
you know, are you okay? You know, what, what happened? Are you okay? Right. So, uh, in, in this sense, it's a little bit different. It's not uh, checking on your vitals, but it's getting your attention with a joyful celebratory proclamation, mm-hmm. which the gospel is good news. And so uh, I, I think the church could deploy or employ music in this way as outreach by caroling yeah. the culture. Yeah. Um, well, it's amazing during this COVID crisis, actually, I don't know if you've been following, I mean, how many music groups and choirs and things are doing these kind of, uh, you know, uh, these recording each of their parts and then putting them all together and kind of doing the Brady Bunch screen, you know, screen squares. And, and they're phenomenal. I mean, they like give you goosebumps and almost nine out of 10 of them are Christian songs, you know, and, and I don't think half the people even realize what they're singing, you know, um, but music during this time of COVID uh, actually, is, I feel like brought a lot of comfort and a lot of peace um, and for that reason. But a lot of the lyrics that they're singing are gospel lyrics and that's why it's comforting, you know, which is, is really interesting. John, thanks so much for, for jumping on here, man. What, so how can we pray specifically for you and for Clarion? And, and by the way, if someone wants to, to look into your guys' productions, um, know when plays are coming up, maybe see past productions, um, where would they go? How would they do that? Um, and I'll be sure to, to put the link um, in front of your face here as you say it. But where would you send people? Since I don't go there, I'm, I'm mostly the writer. <laughs> I don't manage the webpage, but here it is. This It's tinyurl.com slash clarion or okay and you can put that up there yep so this is we we formed a christian theater company in order it's not like i i write these redemptive stories and and they're going off the shelf like hotcakes kind of thing and people want to produce them we produce them ourselves and uh, so i'm working on number three it's called hatter's daughter so the the thing you could do is pray that i would finish i mean i've got uh my, my wife and music director, John, how about, where the, where's that score? You know, I write the songs. The songs are written. The script is written, but we're, we're getting close to our second read through, and then I'll make revisions. And then all of the songs need to be orchestrated. It just takes forever. It takes me forever to notate it. It's one thing to play it and sing it. And then I have to notate it for piano and right. all those instruments. Wow. Yeah. So, uh, just to, that I would be persevering, that I would yeah. follow through. And then, uh, of course, we love, um, so pray that as the creative uh, engine, I, I need to produce this work so that it's available for people to, to engage. And then uh, we would love for church people, if they feel led and gifted, to step in, like I did, to step into this realm of salt and light in the culture, to carol the culture. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my third piece, The Hatter's Daughter, is a comedy with a redemptive message. So it's supposed to generate some yucks and it's got lots of great solos and great uh, character songs. It's such a blast Mm. for anybody that has sung on a worship team or led worship, but not been on the stage. I would challenge them to try it out Mm. because if your story is glorifying God, you're ministering to the culture around you with your gift. So think about stepping out apart from Sunday services and do something in the culture. Cool. Cool. Well, thanks for, for all the work you do. I'm so thanks glad that you and Arden um, are at our church and, and part of our, our family. You guys are such a refreshing, um, just just new thoughts and, and encouragement. Your guys' walk with the Lord and love for the Lord is just so genuine and deep. So uh, we'll continue to pray for you guys and for Clarion and all that you're doing uh, there. And thanks so much for being on the podcast, John. Really appreciate it.